Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. about the Steelers 5-0 start to date. It's hard to know even where to begin and where to end. The list runs from here to, uh, I guess you could say, Nashville and back. A lot of terrific performances, a lot of surprise performances, a lot of people on and off the field of competitive play who are due some serious praise to date. And most of them are getting it. Not everyone and not everything. And that's something I'm going to have a little bit of fun with here today. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. And this the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. From now until Christmas, we're offering free advertising to businesses in downtown Pittsburgh. So today's opening segment, I'm very happy to tell you, is brought to you by my longtime friends at Ides Entertainment, mostly known for their comic books, of course. Originally based where PNC Park is today, then they moved over to Penn Avenue, and then they moved a little bit further up Penn Avenue. They're right by the convention center. New books every Wednesday, so I'm there every Wednesday. There's a lot more than that there memorabilia, videos, tons of videos, a whole floor of videos. And the best expertise, the best people you'll find in all of these various areas anywhere in town, uh, arguably in the country when it comes to comics. Uh, Those guys have all been working there since before I started going there, and I started going there as a child, and that's as close as I'm going to come to dating them. Ides Entertainment. It's Steelers and Titans, of course, on Sunday, 1.02 p.m. Eastern Time kickoff at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. Uh, I'll be there. Dale Lawley from DK Pittsburgh Sports will be there. Um, Can't wait. Can't wait. This is going to be both educational and and entertaining, educational in the obvious sense that you're going to get to learn things about the Steelers that you maybe haven't had a chance to learn since they haven't faced an opponent of this caliber, regardless of what you thought of the Browns going into last week. And entertaining because, wow, I mean, lots of different dimensions and everything. This is this is going to be good. 
in the five games the Steelers have already played, there have been a bunch of really uplifting storylines. And I'm going to cite for you a little list I had made here just for fun to do on this show. Three things that I feel maybe have gone underappreciated. And these are going to be in descending order. Or is it ascending? I never get this one right. I'm making a list. If you're counting down three, two, one, are you going in descending order or are you going into ascending order? Because you're going to the one that's of the highest priority. If you know this, feel free to drop me a line because I'm actually not sure. In the meantime, I'm going to take this from three to two to one, however anyone would want to call that order. Number three, number three is that once and for all, we need to stop questioning when the Steelers want to draft a wide receiver. Yes, J.K. Dobbins looks like he's going to be the real deal in Baltimore, and I get that and I appreciate it. But the fact of the matter is, is that under Kevin Colbert, the Steelers have been immaculate when it comes to selecting receivers. Even if you're just looking at the draft from the prism of nothing other than receivers, they're amazing at this. Remember that when the Steelers did take Chase Claypool out of Notre Dame and everyone was still hot and bothered about J.K. Dobbins and her another running back not having been there for the Steelers. Of course, a lot of us, myself included, really liked Clyde Edwards-Elair, and we're seeing now with Kansas City Y. But you'll also recall that all the buzz to that point in the draft was that this was a deep, wide receiver class unlike anything the draft had seen, and that it went as deep as 10. 10 was the number that everybody kept using. 10 in terms of elite talent. So while we were waiting and waiting and waiting, which felt like forever for the Steelers to finally get to their pick in the second round, and the running backs were gone, and then the 10th wide receiver went. And you're thinking, oh, I can't even do that. So remember, like, a lot of the buzz was like, ah, just get a safety or something like that. Uh, don't worry about the running back. Don't worry about the wide receiver. Never, ever again, Pittsburgh, please never again question the Steelers' selections at wide receiver because not only does Chase Claypool look like he absolutely unequivocally should have been a first-round pick. But it's very reasonable to suggest that he should not have been the 11th wide receiver in that allegedly 10-deep elite class. Uh-huh. Forgot about that, right? Well, next time, next time, just look at his jersey number because it's, you know, 11. Amazing how that works. And to hear the Steelers tell it, and this is what they said the night that they picked Claypool, he was higher on their wide receiver list. They liked him 
better than some of the guys that were taken ahead of him. And if, if you look around the NFL, uh, some of these receivers are, in fact, having pretty nice rookie years. But, you know, Chase Claypool's doing something that's special here, and that's without really being Ben Roethlisberger's principal target. Amazing stuff. Don't let it slide through. That's all. That's that. That's the point of this whole list. Don't don't let it slide through. Number two, number two. This defensive line, you will recall, was supposed to be the number one concern on that side of the football. I'm not doing any told you so here or finger wagging because I said the same thing. Always here, always accountable, okay? I said the same thing. I didn't like the fact that not only did they let Javon Hargrave go to Philadelphia, but before the Eagles signed him, they made a very serious offer in an attempt to keep Hargrave, something not enough people talk about around here, which told me that they felt they really needed Hargrave. Three years and $39 million is what Hargrave got from Philadelphia. For the Steelers to have been even in that neighborhood, they had to have been drop-dead serious about the need to have him here. Well, what's happened since then? I mean, Hargrave's doing fine in Philly. We just saw him here. He played a decent game, whatever. But way more important than that, the Steelers' defensive line, as I am speaking to you, has been the very best in the National Football League. You can find statistics and advanced statistics to support that. You also can see that Pro Football Focus has them graded number one. We're talking almost entirely here about Cam Hayward, Stefan Tuitt, and Tyson Alulu, and the latter is the one that's really been the one that's risen above expectations. I, I mean, I guess you could be mean and suggest that Steph has also risen above expectations because he hasn't gotten hurt yet. He's still out there playing, and he's playing extremely well. Cam, of course, signs the mega contract to stay with the Steelers for life and goes out and is showing everybody every week that 32 years old doesn't mean a thing to him. And on that note, my goodness, what on earth were the Browns thinking putting a tight end on Cam on that fourth and one? And that poor tight end ended up getting shoved back into Lake Erie on the play that Cam completely blew up. The rest of the defense comes in and piles up on Kareem Hunt. And, of course, the Browns didn't get it. Uh, yesterday in his weekly call with us, Cam was asked about his attitude, basically, when he's lining up in that situation across from a tight end. Great answer here. I don't think a tight end can block me. You know, I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, over-embellished or, you know, crazy about it. But I just think uh, when I'm lined up in that position, uh, I'm wing busting. It's my job to send it back. I don't want to put the corner on the island. Um, and I got to send it back. You know, it's a situation we try to win. Um, if we win those situations more than that, we're going to put our offense in, a, in good uh, territory. And, um you know, if we do that, you know, it keeps points off the board. So, you know, from here on out, uh, if, if my number's called and I got to be put all the way tight end, I got to win those matchups. He's been good. Uh, all three of them 
have been good. And I know their jobs are made easier by the edge rushing that's done together by T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree because teams have to spend so much attention on those guys, but still, uh, they're getting penetration. They're pushing back. The pass rush has been there. And I'm talking about from the interior line. The pass rush has been there. The run stopping has been there. And in the second segment, I'll get into why that might really, really, really matter Sunday in Nashville. Number one, number one on this list of things we no longer discuss but happen to be extremely important to the Steelers' 5-0 and start. Number one, actually, I'm just going to let Ben Roethlisberger himself give this one to you, courtesy of his call with us yesterday morning. Oh, it feels great. Um, you know, it's uh, no setbacks, no issues. Every once in a while, I'll bump it on the ground or get hit, and I'll, I'll feel at it. But it's those are more just bumps, nothing on the surgical site. So um, everything's going great. Thank you. There it is. Did that sound like a dishonest assessment to you? His elbow is fine. He does bump it on occasion. He falls on it, you know, as all quarterbacks will do when they're taken down. He feels something, but it's not connected to the surgery. If he was looking in any way to avoid an answer on the subject, he never would have needed to mention the part about falling on it or anything. He's been, I think, very upfront about this from the start, and that's because he's had no reason not to be, because it's felt fine and it's shown to be fine. What we saw this past Sunday for the first time was Ben hitting those deep balls with accuracy. It was never an issue of the elbow. It was, as he'd further elaborate on yesterday, much more to do with the fact that he hadn't really been setting up for a lot of deep balls in practices and even in training camp. His concentration had been on getting used to his new receivers and the running routes and uh, running the plays again. Well, last week in practice, he was throwing a whole bunch of deep balls. Uh, both to humans and to just objects at times. And he talked about doing so in a way where he had his feet set properly, where he was getting the right feel of it, getting the right amount of energy going into his arm. It was never about the elbow. We are five games into this season. Find something to knock on, and Ben's elbow is fine, and it says here that it's going to stay fine because that's the nature of the procedure that he had. It's not some iffy, hope it heals thing. It's a reconstruct. It's like he's starting over with it. So there, three things. How about that? When we come back, a little bit more football, not necessarily in the form of a list. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass.
back. Ryan Clark, the really heady safety, played a lot of his Pittsburgh career alongside Troy Polamalu, kind of making sure that he'd take care of business so that Troy could do his thing. Is now a national analyst with ESPN and does a nice job, and he's not been at all a homer, at least not from what I've been able to gather from afar. When he's felt the situation has called for criticizing the Steelers, he's done so. So I, I took it the right way when yesterday he tweeted out a pretty significant compliment for Keith Butler, the defensive coordinator, and the approach that he took to facing the Browns. The things that he had seen in Cleveland's tendencies, the way Clark worded it, to line up the Steelers and to go after Mayfield, uh, Baker Mayfield, while at the same time making sure that Kareem Hunt and that rushing attack that had been averaging 188 yards per game was held in check. And that got me to thinking about this coming matchup, which I see as a significantly greater challenge for the Steelers. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. LGKG represents people who are hurt in car accidents, who need help with workers' comp, who filed medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG pride themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. That's their motto. That's their thing. When they make a promise, they keep it. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, Elwood City. You can learn more about them at LGKG.com. Easy enough to remember, right? LGKG.com or by calling 888-842-5454. Here's a bit of a statistical nugget that had me a little bit wary about the Steelers facing the Titans. Ryan Tannehill, who's going to be talked about a lot less this coming week than Derrick Henry will, and, and I get that. I mean, Derrick Henry's the best player at his position in the National Football League, but Tannehill has actually been one of the very best performers at his position in 2020. Uh, there are people who make a straight-faced case for him as the league's MVP to date, right up there with Russell Wilson and a couple others. And Tannehill has these inside football numbers when he's pressured. This is part of the cool stuff about the, the newer football analytics is that they're not just putting together the way you sometimes see in baseball, a bunch of acronyms and saying, oh, look at his WOBA plus XI1. In football, they're still giving you the stuff in real-world terminology and real-world application. Looking at the same film, studying the same concepts, but coming up with useful information. Ryan Tannehill, when he is pressured this season, has thrown seven touchdowns. That's tied for first among all NFL quarterbacks. When he is pressured, he has a 110.5 passer rating. That's number one in the National Football League. For some perspective there, 
Ben's overall passer rating is 109, and Ben's been pretty good, pretty efficient. That's Tannehill's just a notch above that when he's pressured. That's how smart, how decisive, and how efficient, and how accurate he's been. Ryan Tannehill, when pressured this season, has thrown zero interceptions. Yeah, so that's a handful, kids. I mean, that is... I was writing a couple weeks ago, almost in complaint form, that the Steelers' games had become too easy to predict. That it's just been a simple matter of looking at what's on the other side of the of the line and saying, well, those guys have no chance to block the Steelers' front seven. Therefore, the Steelers' front seven will eat the other team's quarterback alive. Therefore, the Steelers will win the game. There are complications to that this week, of course. Taylor Lewan, the left tackle of the Titans, is out. He will not be playing. That is a loss for Tennessee. That's the blind side. Uh, Tannehill himself was moved to tweet about uh, at, at his teammate how much he appreciated him protecting the blind side. Um, Tennessee apparently has pretty good depth at the offensive line position and might be able to recover from it, but it's not ideal for them. Regardless, the weapon in this equation is Tannehill. So how, if you're the Steelers, if you're Keith Butler, and you're as smart as Ryan Clark thinks you are, <laughs> how do you build your game plan principally to stop Derrick Henry? You know that's what he's going to do. You know that he's going to throw everything else out of the equation, meaning Butler, to try to build something to stop Henry. And then whatever comes about with Tannehill will be kind of a, a secondary thing or an after effect. This isn't easy. Tannehill doesn't have anywhere near the weapons that Ben does. Ben can throw to any of six guys, and you're not surprised if they make a really good play on the football and get some yards after the catch. But he himself has been that smart and that efficient. And that alone can be something that undoes even a really good physical, aggressive defense like the one the Steelers have. I'm trying to picture a scenario in which the Steelers are simultaneously blitzing Tannehill while also containing the run in the call with Hayward yesterday he made a passing reference to shutting down Henry in part by making sure that he stays between the tackles so these two concepts can align if you think about it uh, Bud Dupree is an excellent edge rusher but he's also an excellent edge stopper on the run. He actually might be better at the latter, although that's not the kind of thing that's going to get you uh, player of the year type votes and that sort of thing. It's always about sacks and pressures. 
But Bud doesn't let running backs beat him to that side. He finds a way to wrap him up. He's that big, that strong, that athletic. And, yes, he's every bit as much as Derrick Henry on all those categories, including size. And to say that you want to run to T.J. Watt's side, you know, that sounds kind of insulting. T.J.'s pretty good at it, too. He might not be as, as, as outstanding at it as Bud is, but he's pretty good at it. So if the Steelers use their edge rushers, and we, we've seen some of this at different times over the course of the year, to go at Tannehill and or Henry, meaning just blitz for multiple purposes, at least try to force Tannehill's hand while you're getting back there, while you're getting to the backfield. You're still going to see Tannehill connect with receivers over that front seven. You're going to see him hit on uh, not just quick routes, but routes that are in front of him. He's not shy about throwing the intermediate, even the deeper ball. And he puts some pretty nice touch on it. If you have the patience, if you have the stomach to concede, look, we'll let Tannehill do that to some extent. I mean, we're still obviously going to cover these guys and whatever else here, but if you make the priority still getting to the backfield for the dual purpose of chasing the quarterback and for keeping Henry in check, you're going to give up some yards and you're going to give up some points but you might have, might have the best recipe to win the game. When we come back, some baseball. Welcome back. Major League Baseball's World Series is now two games deep with the Dodgers and Rays each having taken one. Rays prevailing in Game 2 last night in Arlington, Texas by a 6-4 count. The ratings have been horrendous for this. Uh, It's been mostly true for the baseball playoffs in general, although the League Championship Series had a couple of blips here and there. But the rating, the only rating that's in so far is for Game 1, and a total of 9.2 million people watched, according to Nielsen. And this was on a Fox national broadcast that had no meaningful sporting competition on any other network. It was just, you know, baseball, you know, against nothing, really, okay, when it comes to a sports fan. We don't, we're not channel flickers. We just look for whatever sports on TV, right? 9.2 million. That was a 25% dip from last year. And you can make kind of a surface argument about, well, you know, the Washington Nationals were in it last year and uh, – pretty big population to the District of Columbia, and you can also make an argument that the Rays, based in St. Petersburg, Florida, have the 
the worst, smallest fan base in the entire game, and nobody would argue with you on that. Uh, they're not Tampa's team, meaning the city of Tampa. No one in Tampa considers the Rays to be their team. It's a, they're based in St. Petersburg, and no one there goes to see them. So your individual market, but the individual market under any circumstance doesn't drag your national rating down 25%. It was the lowest rated World Series game in the history of national TV ratings. Not what you thought I was going to say, right? Usually it's something like lowest since 2015, lowest since whatever. The lowest ever. I am here to sound the alarm for the gazillionth time that baseball is broken. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Find out about their newest program at the website growsharethrive.org. In normal times, one in seven people in our region are uncertain where their next meal is coming from. That includes one in five children, and that can be scary. In the pandemic, the numbers are that much worse. That's what growsharethrive.org is all about. Check it out. One dollar is all it takes to provide enough food for up to five meals. If Rob Manfred hasn't recognized that he's got a problem on his hands as commissioner of what once upon a time was our national pastime, he sure should after seeing these ratings. This is this is something that people will blame on the Rays being there. And they'll they'll use that as an excuse to say, well look, this is why you need the big market teams, the big revenue teams uh, not just L.A., but, you know, if, if only the Yankees had gotten there or the Red Sox or whoever, this wouldn't have happened. And, yeah, that would have had some traction, obviously, but it wouldn't have overcome 25%. There's such a big portion of this country, not just Pittsburgh, that's given up hope, that's lost its love for the game. Some of that is generational. We see that baseball has by far the oldest median age among its most dedicated fans. That's a problem. We also see that baseball is way more popular per capita in the bigger cities because they at least watch teams that compete regularly with hope, and I underscore compete regularly, because we can give all the attaboys in the world to the Tampa Bay Rays, but the fact of the matter is, is that they're, you know, they're a team that in, on any given year, if they lose 110, no one's going to be all that surprised because of where their payroll has to be. It takes absolutely everything going right for them to make it this far, whereas the Dodgers are competing in their third World Series in five years. Why? Because they've got the $200-plus million payroll. And it's not just that. The games are too long. The games are boring. The ball's never put in play. 
It's either a home run or a strikeout or a walk. The shift has taken a lot of the fun, the strategy, the suspense out of the game because there aren't people on base. So you don't have that feeling like you're up on the edge of your seat because there's runners on first and second, runners on second and third. What are they going to do here? What's going to happen? What will the manager do? Will he pinch hit? Uh, there's That stuff is gone when it's just home run strikeout, home run strikeout. I don't have all the answers here other than the salary cap. And I'm not going to pretend to. But I'm pretty clear on what the question is. And that is, what's this commissioner going to do about it? What's this commissioner going to do about it? I don't know how much more obvious it can be. That baseball needs a lot of help. Thanks so much for listening today. We'll be back tomorrow with one more before the weekend. Your front door. Your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.